have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him, that's Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell. And so from verse 18, verses, verses 15 and 19, and verse 18 in particular, we get our theme for the book of Colossians, and here's your first fill in the blanks, and we'll go quickly here tonight in regards to the introduction here. The theme is the person, the person, the first P, the person, power, and preeminence. Preeminence is P-R-E-E-M-I-N-E-N-C-E. That's preeminence, P-R-E-E-M-I-N-E-N-C-E. The person, the power, and the preeminence of Jesus Christ. That is the, the theme of the book. As we see it in the introduction, we see it all the way through the book. Colossians is the most Christocentric book in all of the Bible. In these 95 verses, we have more about Christ. He is preeminent in all things, and there's a reason for that. Already in this, this, this early days of the church, this is A.D. about 64, we think, the church is also experiencing, is already starting to experience heresies for coming into the church, and we'll look at a number of lessons over the course of the next number of months here, as we get into especially chapter 2, as we look at the, the, the problems that were taking place in, in uh, Colossians. But this is the most Christocentric book. We say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Everything, if you miss Christ in the Bible, you miss the whole message of the Bible. Why don't we quote some verses together that you know? Let's quote the first verse in the Bible. Let's try it together. Ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we know that that God is Elohim. That's God plural, but there's only one God. And verse 26 says, let us make man in our own image. This is familiar territory to you veteran Christians. But we see God, Elohim, we see in, in, in the Bible says, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is, uh, he is verse 19 of our text, it says, in, in him should all fullness dwell. You don't have God the Father. You don't have God the Son if you don't have God the, or God the Spirit, rather, if you don't have God the Son. And so we see from the very first verse of the Bible, we see Christ. We go to the very next verse, of, or the very first verse of the Gospel of John. Let's try that together. In the beginning was the what? Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not in, the next verse is say that there's not anything was created that was without him, and he is before all things again. He is, we have nothing without Christ. Nothing. He's preeminent. He's all-powerful. He's the, the person of Christ. If you miss Christ, you missed it all. And so we have in verse Genesis 1-1, we have John 1-1, and then Revelation 22-21. Well, let's turn there and somebody nice and loud read the very last verse of the Bible, the very first verse of the Bible. We see Christ. The very last verse of the Bible. Nice and loud. Somebody read that for us, please. Just go ahead and read. Anybody? The, the Holy Writ ends with the Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We start with Christ. We end with Christ. Revelation 19 and verse 10. Could I have a man read that verse for us, please? Revelation 19 and verse 10. What is the Bible all about? Well, the Bible tells us the answer. The angel said, don't bow to me. But Revelation 19, 10. Somebody read that nice and loud for us, please. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit, the confession of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus, the story of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of all the word of God. 
And Jesus said, if I would be lifted up, I would draw all men unto me. This, the Holy Spirit of God's ministry is to lift up Jesus Christ. If you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. I want you to know that Christology, the study of Christ alone, is the central, it's the, the hub of all of the study of the Word of God. Everything else is secondary, it comes after. Follow me on this for just a few moments. The study of ecclesiology. Now, that, that ology means study of. In ecclesias, we get our word ecclesia, or, 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 or the word, the study of the church. It's important that we're right about the church, but we won't be right about the ecclesiology if we're not wrong about Christ. We got to get Christ down first. The study of eschatology, the doctrine of last things, is important. We're pre-tribulationalists, pre-millennialists. Uh, we know that it'll be a seven-year tribulational period of time. That's all important, but none of that all comes after Christ, the study of Christ, the, the study of uh, numerology in the Bible. Tim Butler was telling me about studies that he had in numerology. Numbers mean things in the Bible. It's very important that you know that. But that comes way after the, uh, Christology and knowing who Christ is. Typology in the Old Testament. There's many Old Testament types of Christ in the Old Testament we could talk about. But that comes after we know about Christ. Bibliology and how we got our canon of Scripture and how important the Bible is. Even theology itself. You see, if you're wrong about Christ, let me say it this way. If you're wrong about Jesus Christ, you'll be wrong about everything else, whether it be ecclesiology, whether it be eschatology, whether numerology, typology, bibliology, even theology. If you're wrong about Christ, the Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong because they're wrong about Christ. Because they, they don't understand, they think they understand theology. They can't understand theology if you don't understand Christology because he is preeminent. He's the powerful one. He's the, the, the person that we need to know. Even if you're wrong about Christ, even our contemporary isms, if I could use that little phrase, we're, we're messed up on. Denominationalism. Uh, I'll talk about it in a message, Lord willing, for a moment. I'm a Baptist. I'm proud to be a Baptist. But if I'm a Baptist before I'm a Christian, or if I'm a Baptist before I know Christ, I got a problem. And as Baptists, have got pretty big problems, and I happen to be one of those Baptists. And uh, I'm a Baptist, but I hopefully I don't have big problems. But yeah, I probably do that too. That didn't come out quite right, but you know what I mean. Denominationalism, separatism. The Bible tells us to be separatists, but if we miss Christ, we miss separation comes in Genesis chapter 1, but it comes after we read about Christ. We're going to study about asceticism, that of self-denial. It's in this book here. Mysticism, Judaism, or which leads to Phariseeism, or legalism. All those things are secondary, are way off base. They're not primary, they're secondary compared to Christology and the study of Jesus Christ. He's everything, and he's my all in all. There is no life without Christ, for in him we live and move and have our being. And so if we are off about Christ, we will ultimately be off about many things. I'm probably going to use uh, in the news all this week here. I think, Lord willing, that uh, Kobe Bryant will make the news on or to make the message on Sunday morning. I have plans for talking about that. I understand that he was in church on Sunday morning. Did you hear that? Uh, he was at, a, I believe, a Catholic church. He took communion and then he got on that that uh, plane. But uh, I don't think. I don't know. I'd like to be wrong. Tragedy of tragedies. Uh, but I, I don't think that Kobe was a Christian. Uh, he didn't act like it from what I saw, but I could be wrong. I want to be wrong. I hope he's in heaven. I don't know. But uh, if you're wrong about Christ, it don't matter if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul. If, 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 and Christ is everything. 
And so let me move forward here, if we can, to the outline and overview of this book for just a few moments here. Colossians, in a sense, by the way, concludes that which Ephesians introduces. Ephesians, let me, this is just free, it's not part of your worksheet. Ephesians, in Ephesians, Paul dwells with the, the body or the church, the body of Christ, or some call it the bride of Christ. And uh, whereas Colossians deals with the head of the body, who is Christ himself. Of the 78 verses, by the way, of Colossians, 78 of the 95 verses are almost nearly identical to verses in Ephesians. Ephesians, or Colossians is to Ephesians what Galatians is to Romans. And we looked at that last year when we looked at our studies of Romans, or Galatians, rather. Galatians is an encapsulization. It's a small version, if you will, a general outline of the more expanded version of the Romans. Colossians is a more condensed, more specific, uh, more to the point uh, treatise of the, the person of Christ and, and it's expanded in Ephesians. And so this book, while written, at the, written to the church at Colossae, was meant to be read in exchange with other assemblies. Go to chapter 4 and look at verse 14 in the way of introduction. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, it says, uh, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Verse 15, salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, verse 16, cause that it be read also in the church of, of uh, the Laodiceans, that ye may likewise read the, the epistle from Laodicea. And so these letters were meant to be exchanged. So we see this, uh, this overview of the book of Colossians. And then the outline is, is, we'll do this for very rapid fire. I want to spend the balance of our time on our five-point outline at the bottom here. But part one of this book is the introduction, and we'll just have time to look at the first two verses here in just a few moments. Part two is the truth about Christ, or truth about the Christ. There's only one Christ. There are many false Christs, but one true Christ. So the truth about the Christ Part three is all of chapter two. It's truth about the cult. And we'll talk about that in about three months, two months from now. It won't take us that long to get there. Part four is the truth about the Christian. And that's chapter three, verse one, to the first part of chapter four. And then, of course, conclusion. So we see the truth about the Christ, truth about the cult, truth about the Christian. It's the general outline of this book. And so I'm going to give you the introduction to the place of Colossae. If we could... Uh, Get our map on the screen, if we could, please. I need to have a pointer, but uh, you guys hopefully have good eyes. You're looking at, uh, I'll just come on over here, obviously, down here to the bottom left-hand side, you see the very right-hand corner, you see the Judea, we see what we know of today as modern-day Israel. And then we go up to Syria, and then, of course, the, the tan color, that's where modern-day Turkey is. So you get to, obviously, we got the Mediterranean Sea here. We got the Aegean Sea between uh, Turkey and Greece. You see the seven churches of Asia Minor are on the map there. I don't know if you can read and see the, the city of Ephesus. Ephesus, if you go about 100 miles just to get your bearings, you go to Colossae. You see Colossae right above Lycia. And then above Colossae is a town about 12 miles north of Laodicea. And then from Laodicea is Hierapolis. Now, they were all three sister cities, they're all spoken about in the Bible. Of course, we had the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 2. 
God said, I wish that you were not, I uh, that you were not, not uh, lukewarm, but you, you, I wish that you were hot as opposed to cold. But this city of Colossae, again, 12 miles south of Laodicea and Hierapolis to about 15, 20 miles north of that, in the Lycus Valley in Phrygia, or the, what we know of today as western central Turkey. It was famous for, for wool. It was a volcanic mountainous terrain. And the Lycus River, of course, uh, it's now been renamed, by the way, but for centuries it was known as the Lycus River, flows through the center of what was ancient Colossae. Uh, it was a beautiful, the, 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 the rock formation had beautiful, I, I picture like the, uh, uh, not the uh, Grand Canyon, but the, uh, like the Arches National Monument Park in Utah, if you've seen pictures. The rocks were many different various colors, of course, very beautiful colors, and the, the sides of the mountain, mountainous walls and so forth. It was, again, famous for... Uh, uh, wools and for uh, color purple, we read about Lydia, the uh, Acts chapter 16, who was from that area of Lystra and not too far away. And uh, we see that uh, this, this city was a, uh, it was, let me just read to you what Lightfoot, the historian, said of the city. Ancient monuments are buried, uh, fertile lands overlaid, Riverbeds choked up and streams diverted, fantastic grottos. He's describing Caesarea, or rather Colossae in Paul's day, and cascades and arches of stones formed by this strange, capricious power, at once destructive and creative, working silently and restlessly, restlessly through long ages. Uh, fatal to vegetation, these incrustations spread like a stony shroud over the ground deeming like glaciers on the hillside. They attract the eyes of the traveler at a distance of some 20 miles. He's describing the beauty of the grandeur of the mountains around the city and forming a striking, singularly striking feature in scenery of more than common beauty and impressiveness, according to, this is according to Lightfoot. Now this city was, uh, history tells us that it received a earthquake that destroyed most of the city in, in AD 60. Now, we believe that this was written in A.D. 64. The church was founded in about A.D. 55, so the church was only about five years old, and a great devastating earthquake happened. Brother Jim in his uh, Sunday school classes had been talking about the flood of 1955, and I guess he lived through that, of course. Uh, he was a boy at that time, obviously, and uh, uh, Winstead never did recover from that flood. It was, Winstead was a larger city back in, before 1955. Well, that's what happened in this city in a different way, by the nine, AD 90, Paul writes to the seven churches of Asia Minor, Colossae doesn't make the cut. It's a ghetto town by that time, and, and the sister city of Laodicea is on the map. But at this time, this was a very important church and a very important city. And so uh, we see this uh, Laodicea, rather, excuse me, Colossae becomes just a footnote in the annals of history. And Laodicea and Hierapolis are become more prominent. Now, this is interesting. I just want you to get a feel for the cities of that day. Can you go to the next uh, picture, if you would, please? And uh, next picture, this is the... We saw two of these great amphitheaters, like Mars Hill and Athens, Greece, when we were in Caesarea, or rather uh, Antioch of uh, Caesarea, where you, if you go on a 
uh, Israelite tour, you'll probably start there. And you, you'll see a 3,000 seat out of Colosseum. These Colosseums were very popular in every city, just like we have big football stadiums in our major cities across America. They had these Colosseums. They had forums. They had, they had, uh, they had bathhouses. They had, uh, they had a regular, what we would know of as our, the city mall, the main, major thoroughfare, Broadway, with great giant pillars and so forth. This is just one picture of numbers. This is in Hierapolis, I believe it is, or to see one of those two, I should have double-checked which one. And the, the ruins of, uh, of course, Turkey being a, a uh, predominantly Muslim country and, and a lot of ruins there, but because of the biblical history of this church, or this place called Colossae, they've not excavated a lot of this. Uh, if you get on the map and Google Colossae, you'll see that, that, that there's not much interest in excavating what there, was there at one time. But uh, it was a, what am I trying to tell you? It was a very famous city of the day, very popular city, and it was very, very similar to our cities of today. And uh, it's hard to believe. I was just so impressed with uh, the, the engineering and the architecture and the, the, the you've heard of the uh, all roads lead to Rome, of course, the Appian Way. And those roads, they built those roads to last. I was on the Damascus Road. It's still intact today. 2,000 years later, and uh, it's, uh, they could get around pretty fast, and chariot, and, and horses, or even by walking, it's a 12-mile walk. To, and so these cities, contrary to what I had perceived in my mind for many years, were you know, backwards and backwoods and you know, prehistoric. No, hardly, uh, far from it. These were very sophisticated cities, and they had vices just like we had. In fact, uh, this, uh, just to bring out one vice that's, uh, uh, yeah, I've studied this to and uh, I've read this on a number of different cases. They had their own versions of pornography, by the way. They were very, they had just up the street in Ephesus, they had their own Las Vegas. They had prostitution. They had, they had we sometimes, us preachers make the wickedness of today worse than ever before. Guess what? They had wickedness back 2,000 years ago, too. In AD 60, they had wickedness. And so this city was polluted with wickedness, and this church was uh, a called out, redeemed people that. Uh, that uh, Christ cared for. So what do we learn from our text? It took me uh, 20 minutes to get to the message now, and I won't be, we'll be done by 8 o'clock, I promise you. But let's look at and examine our text here tonight. And I want you to notice what we can learn from our text, at least five things for sure. Christ cares about, first of all, your person. Notice the very first word of Holy Writ for this book of, of Colossians, Paul. Paul, Paulus, Saul of Tarsus, now Paul. Christ cares about our person. He knows our name. Everybody knows the name Kobe Bryant now today. Everybody, even non-basketball figures. Everybody has been splashed all over the news since Sunday, all day, every day, on the sports channels and on the news channels. Everybody knows Kobe. And, uh, but... Uh, People don't know who this Paul was. A lot of people don't know to this day who Paul was. But Paul, the, maybe the greatest apostle that, that ever lived. And Paul, the Lord knew his name. He knew the number of hairs upon his head. He knows the number of hairs upon your head. He cares for you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your thoughts so far off, according to Psalms. He, he knows what's best for us. In Luke chapter 10, when we read about Zacchaeus, we, we know that Jesus sees us. 
Jesus knows us. Jesus wants us. And best of all, Jesus loves us. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Uh, he knew me, the song says, yet he loved me. He knows you. He knows your most despicable sins if you've ever committed. He knows all about them. And he still loves you. He knows you. He sees you in your secret, secret times. He sees, you, he sees you in the recesses of your mind. We're trying to impeach a president. Some people are trying to impeach a president on thoughts. Well, he was thinking it. He, and he, he might have said it. And uh, he's, therefore, he should be impeached. I'm so glad that God knows my, every word that's ever come out of my mouth. He knows every thought that I've ever thought, and he still loves me. He knows me. So he knows our person, Paul. Uh, he knows your name. He knows your first, middle, and last name. He knows uh, everything about you. Then not only does he know your person, but the second thing we learn about Christ, Christ not only cares about our person, but Christ cares about our, your position. You say, what do you mean by that? Paul, the great Pharisee, the learned scholar of the school of Gamaliel, the uh, trained in the Harvard of his day, the, uh, the doctor of the law, the, uh, all that Paul went through and learned, probably knew five languages. He was a scholar. He was a Rhodes scholar of the day. He knew all those things. And yet Paul says, here's what I am. Paul, uh, an apostle. That word apostle, do you know the Greek word? Everybody should know this word. Apostle. What's the word, Greek word for apostle? Apostolos, Tim Noah. It's a, what do we call transliteration. Paul's an apostolos, a sent one. The word, the word uh, apostle means sent one, of course. And he knows our position. He knows our calling. We're all to be sent ones. Now, Paul was a, a, an apostle born out of due season. Barnabas was called an apostle, but he wasn't one of the 12. When we think of the apostles, we think of the 12 apostles, Right? Yet Jesus spoke about others that were not one of the 12 apostles. And apostle was one that had seen the, been an eyewitness to his majesty. I've never seen Christ in my, by my human eyes, but I've seen him in my spirit. Uh, he speaks to me, he talks to me, he walks with me, he tells me I'm his own. We are all in one sense, now in a secondary sense, we are all apostles. He knows you, and he's called us, and he's, we have a position that position is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it says, uh, now, Christians, we all have our hobby horses. Uh, I'm going to be talking a lot about missions in the weeks to come as we draw near to our missions conference, of course. And ch some churches are known for being mission churches, and we should be known as a mission church for sure. That's great, but there's more than just foreign missions in regards to the church. Uh, we're dispensationalist. And I'm a strong dispensationalist, and I want you to be a strong dispensationalist. Some of you don't know what that even means, and I need to explain it from time to time and on an ongoing basis, how we rightly divide the Word of God through different house rules during different periods of time. So we're in this age of grace. But uh, that's important to know. Uh, we use the King James Bible. That's all we use around here as English-speaking people, and, we're, and I'm big on that. I've been big on that for years, of course, and so forth. And, and uh, I'm big on Baptist. I'm big on music standards. We have our own set of music standards that we think are right, and some music standards that go beyond that we think are not, not uh, too, too proper and so forth. Ad infinitum in regards to all these different things that we're to be, that we, have, we ride hobby horses on. 
They're all secondary. They all come after knowing who Jesus Christ is. We are an apostle. We are a sent one of who? Of the Baptist? Of the dispensationalist? Of the faith transmissions crowd? Of the, uh, uh, the King James Bible-only crowd? The music standard crowd? The dress standard crowd? No. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. That's first and foremost. And, and if you miss that, you missed everything else. I, lady, I have to do this quickly. I had a lady call me uh, to be careful here. She may visit our church here soon, I, but I doubt it. She called me and she wanted to know about our church. She wanted to know if we were a registered church. Now, you may not even know what that even means. In other words, are we, do we have a 5013C? Are we registered with the state of Connecticut and the federal government? Do we have a federal tax ID number? The answer is yes, we do. Well, there's a movement out there. It's been around for at least 30, 40 years that I know of. There's a small contingency, of mainly Baptists, that are believing unregistered churches and that we're selling out to the devil and selling out to Caesar by being registered. And she wanted to know if we were a registered church. And I, I says, and I knew exactly where she was going as soon as she said it. I said, well, yes, we are. And I said, I don't know of a church in all of Connecticut that isn't. You've got to have a house church in order to, uh, just a house, a group of assembly of people together and, you know, you get a building and so forth. And I explained how we had to have a fire marshal in our building and so forth. And, but she all got hung up on, well, you can't be a registered church and be right with God. She didn't say that, but that's what she's saying. Listen, we're right with God when we're right with Jesus Christ. He's, he's, that's what's important. All these other things are secondary issues. And so Christ cares about our person. He cares about our position. I must hurry. Verse number 2. He cares about your place, that is your city. He speaks to, in verse number 2, to the brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. Matthew chapter 9, he was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes. He knows our place. Colossians, Colossae has been no more for nearly 1,900 years. It's, a, it's a archaeological ruins right now. But he knows, if he wrote a book for all eternity to the, to, to the city of Colossae and to the saints of Colossae, he knows Torrington, Connecticut. He knows New Hartford, Connecticut. And we're out of the way place. I mean, many people don't even know, have never even heard of Torrington, let alone New Hartford, Connecticut, outside of Connecticut. And yet God knows our place, and he cares about our place. He cares about every soul in New Hartford, in Torrington, in Burlington, in, in Avon, in Canton, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He knows our place. Number four, Christ cares about your precious people. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? That is your church. He reads, the Bible reads, verse 2, to the saints, the Hagias, and faithful pistuo brethren, uh, Adelphos in Christ, which are at Colossae. The church, he wrote to the church at Colossae. He cares for the precious people 115 times. I want to spend several minutes on this. I got several seconds. 115 times you'll find the word church in the Bible. It's the word ecclesia. Over 90 times for sure, not even contested. It's talking about a local, independent, autonomous, self governing, visible church like Harvest Baptist Church. This book of the Bible was first written to the church at Colossae. Most of the New Testament was written to churches. You take the, the four Gospels out, and from Acts is the history of the churches, and then the epistles all the way to Revelation, written to the seven churches of Asia Minor. The, the Word of God, New Testament, was written to local New Testament churches, assemblies. God cares for this assembly. This may sound like a break, but I, I believe this is very accurate, very factual. The most important thing that's happening Wednesday night anywhere in all of New Hartford, Connecticut, is happening right here. Right. 
I stopped. I was waiting for an amen. Thank you for that. That's right. I wanted to get one, at least one. Yeah, yeah, this is the most important event there is. There might be a town hall meeting going on right now, but it's not near, near as important as what's happening here. Christ is concerned. He didn't say to the town hall. He didn't say to the mall. He didn't say to the bookstore. He didn't say to the bar. He said to the saints, I wrote this, I care about the saints, which are at Colossae, the church, the faithful brethren. And so he cares for your person. He cares for your position. He cares for your place. He cares for your precious people. That is your church. And every church, every Christian in this New Testament dispensational area, area should be a member of a local New Testament gospel preaching assembly. And then lastly, what do we learn from our first two verses of introduction of this wonderful book of Colossae where we see Christ is first? It says, after, Paul gets, after the word of God gets done addressing his person, Paul, his position, the apostle of Jesus Christ, his place in the city of Colossae, his precious people, the saints should be the church that does Colossae. Then notice what he says in verse number two, grace. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice your, your passionate grace or his passionate grace towards us. That is your, his care. He, he cares for us. That, that word grace is found 159 times in our Bible. Uh, it's found in every Pauline salutation. It's found in most all of his benedictions. It's marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. We can never get tired of it. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's unmerited favor. Grace. The first thing that's accorded to us by this gracious Jesus Christ, who's first and preeminent among all things, is that he knows us. He's called us. To be, his, uh, to be his sent ones, to be his disciples. He's called us to a place. He's called us to a precious people, to be a part of a church within our local body or, locals, or within our city. And he's call, called us with his passionate grace. He says, grace, I'm going to give you grace. Marvelous, matchless, infinite grace. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Lord, help us to love you. Help us to serve you in a wonderful way. Dear God, help us never get tired of grace. And we'll thank you for it. Lord, I pray you bless as we close our service out tonight, we pray, and give us, help us to walk in that wonderful grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One verse as we stand together of marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, grace greater than all our sin. Page number.